following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Our God is truly great. Amen. Amen. Um, Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 2. We're going to look at verses 39 and 40, page 858 in the Pew Bibles. You'll have to forgive me. We spent 450 hours in the car yesterday getting to Bix graduation and back. And um, it was a um, wonderful, emotional, fantastic time. Uh, so I'm cooked. <laughs> so, no, it's good. So just bear with me. Over the last few weeks, we have been working our way through the very early days of Jesus' life on earth. We've talked about angels and shepherds and mangers and virgin birth and Santa Claus and... Oh, Maybe, no, okay, not Santa Claus yet, but we've um, talked about all the elements that we associate with Christmas, biblically speaking, right? We've hit all of the parts, right? <laughs> it's always a trick question. The, um, yeah. All of the parts that fit on our Christmas cards have not been covered So we're going to look at our text this morning and talk about what we have missed. Verse 39 of Luke 2. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Let's pray. Lord, we look forward with great anticipation to what you are going to show us in your word this morning. I thank you, Lord, that your word is equipped to instruct us on how to live lives that bring you the most glory. We pray that you would do that work in us today, that the words that we hear would not be my words, but your word. May the book live to us. Show us our sin, show us ourselves, and show us our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I read this account of the infancy of Hi, Pam. Welcome home. Our list of snowbirds is getting really short. Sorry, that's probably the last thing you wanted me to say. Anyway, uh, so as I read the account of the infancy of Jesus that Luke brings to a close uh, in these two verses, there are two things to me that are glaringly absent of Um, 
in this account. And they're only glaring to me. The, the wise men? Remember those guys? And what about the flight to Egypt? There are two important elements of the infancy of Jesus that Luke does not cover. He doesn't mention them at all. And if you've been with us uh, for, for many Christmases here at, uh, in the Crossroads Church family, um, the absence of the wise men in our talk about Christmas should not surprise you at all because we never uh, include them in, the, in, in our Christmas um, because as the Bible makes clear, the wise men did not come to the manger. The wise men did not see the baby Jesus. They didn't meet the newborn Jesus as our, as our Christmas carols and Christmas cards uh, like to depict. And we can still say at Christmas time, Christmas time, wise men still seek him, right? And that's totally fine. But they sought him a couple years later. That's all. Um, Luke doesn't, doesn't mention the wise men at all. He doesn't mention the flight to Egypt at all, which I find surprising because Luke said very clearly at the beginning of this gospel, I, I put together an orderly account so that you will know um, the certainty of the things that you have been taught. And that's important. But just because he doesn't mention the wise men and just because he doesn't mention the flight to Egypt uh, doesn't mean they didn't happen. Uh, it simply means that Luke didn't feel it was necessary to include them in his account um, of the ministry of Jesus. Um, the coming of the wise men to Bethlehem and the subsequent flight to Egypt by Joseph and Mary happen uh, in our verses this morning during the comma. Um, if you look there in verse 39 of Luke 2. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, comma, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. It's like uh, the poem that you hear at funerals about the dash between the dates. You know, that's what's most important is what you do with the dash. This comma is kind of the same way. It's loaded and it takes quite a long time. So I'd like to focus on the comma this morning um, to make up for the last 10 Christmases of ignoring the wise men. Um, so to find the information hidden behind Luke's comma, we have to look at Matthew chapter 2, which is on page 807 in the Pew Bibles. Um, it's the very first page of the New Testament, if you'd like to turn there with me. And I'd like to read the account of the wise men and the flight to Egypt. Luke chapter, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, 
And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star they had seen when it rose before them, uh, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So there's the wise men. There's the flight to Egypt um, from, from Matthew's perspective. Now, the church that I grew up in, um, every year we had a live nativity. Right? We've, we've, done, we've done one here, uh, a little different. <laughs> they would have all kinds of animals and, and a manger set up outside uh, in the snow. It was guaranteed to be the coldest day of the year. The wind was always blowing. Uh, it was always freezing. But we did it anyway. And Mary and Joseph would arrive. They'd walk around the building um, with Mary on a donkey. Uh, and all the little boys in the church would be dressed up as shepherds. And all the little girls in the church would be dressed up as angels. And, um, and on top of all of that cuteness, um, there were always three men dressed up as kings that, that uh, would ride horses across the parking lot to the manger, right? 
And they, they offer their gold and frankincense and myrrh to the baby in the manger, just like the song says. Right? And this is where we get our theology of the wise men. We three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts we traverse afar, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. Oh, oh. <laughs> star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. That's where we get our thoughts about the wise men, isn't it? Through a parking lot on horseback, three kings. So what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that idea? Well, as far as the wise men are concerned, most of that is wrong. That's why. That's what's wrong with it. It isn't correct. They aren't kings, for one. The Bible doesn't call them kings. Nobody, except for the song, calls them kings because they weren't. The Greek word used for them is magos, or you might have heard them called magi, right? Uh, the term is used of men who had an unusual capacity for understanding based on astrology or astronomy or both. Such persons were regarded as combining both secular and religious aspects of knowledge and understanding. These men were scientists, not kings. They lived in an age where science and theology were not at odds. And in truth, they still aren't, no matter what our culture wants to tell you, that faith and science don't agree. They agree perfectly. So they're not kings, they're scientists. And these scientists, the scholars believe, were from Persia, or Babylon, uh, which is in modern-day Iraq. And when you think of we three kings from the Orient, do you stop at Iraq, or do you keep going, thinking that they're Oriental, right? Well, there's a problem. Iraq is the Orient. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, these guys were from, from, uh, from Persia. We also don't know how many of them there were, we three kings, we several scientists, maybe would be of unknown number and origin. I, I don't think it just has the same Christmassy feel to it. I think the song says there are three kings because there are three gifts that are offered, and that's not a mystery to us at all. They brought gold and frankincense and myrrh, and there's all kinds of things to be talked about uh, of the... Uh, the significance of those gifts, uh, you bring um, gold for a king and frankincense for a deity and myrrh is used in embalming. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of richness in those symbols as well. Uh, it's not really my my purpose to talk much about that this morning, uh, but that is where we get the three from. We have no way of knowing. There are some scholars that say there were 14 and that is based on exactly the same thing as the three. Nothing. Um, well, the star that they mentioned is also worth considering. Matthew writes, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. 
And then later in verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly and with great joy. Now, it's not my purpose this morning to delve into astronomy uh, at all um, or, uh, or to talk about how stars move and how it's actually the Earth that's moving and uh, in relation to the rest of the galaxy. Like, we feel like we're sitting still, but we're moving 66,000 miles per hour. I don't know why it doesn't affect our hair, but... Um, well, I know why it doesn't affect some of your hair. Um, What I can tell you is that stars do not appear at one moment and then disappear and then reappear at another moment. Uh, Nor do they move in such a way as to come to rest over a house and stop. While the the North Star will always lead you north, this particular star led the wise men west and then disappeared and then reappeared and continued to move, and then stopped over a particular house in Bethlehem. I don't know if you've ever seen, you ever seen a star do that. Some people want to explain that away. It was a comet. And there's some inherent problems in that. Um, why explain it away? Um, it, yeah, why try to make that go away? It's, it's okay. Leave it alone. It was a star that rose. It moved. It led them. It disappeared. It came back, moved again, stopped, led them. Cool. And it also went to a house, not to a manger. I think that's important. They went to a house where the child was, and they entered the house. That's what Scripture says. They didn't go to a manger. They didn't go to a cave where the baby lay in the straw. Later on in the story, Herod would have all the boys in Bethlehem, two years old and under, killed based on when the wise men said they first saw the star appear. They did not show up the night Jesus was born. Why would Herod have two-year-old boys killed? So we can kind of deduce from all of this that Jesus was somewhere around two years old when this happened. Not a baby in a manger. The point here is that the star was not a natural occurrence. It's the hand of God moving. He's shaping this story in a way that only God can do. Whether this was an angel or some other kind of thing, only God knows. What's important is that we recognize that it was God at work to accomplish his will. Because he's not always going to operate in the way that we expect. He is always going to operate according to his word. That's really the point of this whole account. God is always, always, always at work to accomplish his will. He is always at work to accomplish his purposes on earth according to his word. It's not coincidental in the least that the wise men started with a star and they ended up in the scripture that finally led them to the sun. 
That's the way that it works. There's some something, some event happens in our lives that shakes our reality. And we start to ask questions. And the answers are found in Scripture. And it is Scripture that leads us to the Son of God. God even used the wise men to show Herod where the Christ was to be born. According to the Scripture, Herod asked the scholars, where, where do the Scriptures say the Christ is to be born? Herod wasn't Jewish. He was a puppet king installed by the Roman Empire. He was Idumean, not Jewish at all. The scholars there quoted Micah 5.2. That's Old Testament. It says, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. God warned the wise men not to return to Herod in a dream. So they went home another way. And that's the end of their story. God warned Joseph in a dream of Herod's murderous wrath and told him to take Mary and the child to Egypt in order to fulfill the words of the prophet Hosea from Hosea chapter one, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, out of Egypt I called my son. In Herod's jealous rage, he had all the boys of Bethlehem and that surrounding area two years old and under killed when he learned that the wise men had tricked him and didn't go back to tell him where the child was. And that is so that scripture would be fulfilled. In Jeremiah 31, 15, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. And after Herod died, an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream again and told him to take his family back to Israel. But in fear, he didn't dare to go back to Bethlehem. So instead, he went back to his hometown of Nazareth so that the scripture from Judges 13.5 would be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. Wise men, shepherds, Simeon, Anna, Mary, Joseph, John the Baptist, all the different people that we've looked at so far in the book of Luke, just like us, all had different journeys to Jesus. But none of them came to Messiah of their own making. It wasn't their own imagination. Jesus was and is the Messiah that God the Father sent according to his word. I've, I've heard it said that the, the probability of anyone fulfilling just this, this short list of prophecies is, is like millions to one. And there are over 300 different prophecies of Messiah, and Jesus fulfilled them all. The probability is the same for, uh, what is it, a, a tornado to blow through a junkyard and put together a 747. It's just, it's, it's beyond calculation. These wise men, the Magi, 
They had their own gods already. Persia and Babylon had their own system of religion. They had all the answers for why creation is the way that it is. They had that system already. Yet these wise men followed a star to worship a new king. Why would God prompt them to do that? It's because Jesus is the only name by which men will be saved. He drew these people out of wherever they were, out of whatever system they were used to, by miraculous means of a a star is the only word we have to cover what that was. We don't know. God knows. Pulled them out of their normal, and they traversed afar, right? Almost two years traveling. It's like 800 miles from Babylon to, uh, to Jerusalem. Why would, they, why would God do that? Because there is no other name but the name of Jesus by which men will be saved. The wise men were the beginning of the Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus Christ. They were the first ones. John Calvin wrote, God has more than one way of preserving his people. Sometimes he makes astonishing displays of power while at other times he employs dark coverings or shadows from which feeble rays of his power escape. This wonderful method of preserving the Son of God under the cross teaches us that they act improperly who prescribe to God a fixed plan of action. Let us permit him to advance our salvation by a diversity of methods, and let us not refuse to be humbled that he may more abundantly display his glory. God is always, always, always at work to accomplish his will, his purposes, according to his word. And though we all have different journeys to Jesus, we all come to faith in him according to his word, by his grace. He will always act according to his word. I don't think that I could ever say that enough. There's such a strong temptation for us to think, yes, God is at work, and okay, the Bible says some stuff, but the prancing pony, and that we have to bow down to that, to the golden calf, right? The Bible is full of stories of people who tried to come to God on their own terms. The golden calf, do you remember that story? That's Moses' brother, Aaron, pressed by the people in popular demand to make the image of a cow made out of all their rings and and earrings and jewelry, melted down, pounded together, make us something that we can see and worship. Moses' brother, right? You know where Moses was at the time? Do you know where the people of Israel were at the time? They're at the base of Mount Sinai. Moses is on the top of Mount Sinai, which, by the way, is covered with clouds and smoke and thunder and lightning at the time. I've been to Mount Sinai. There's no way that you could not see that happening if you're at the base of it. 
He's up there receiving the Ten Commandments written on stone by the finger of God. And the people down below are discontent. They don't like God's program. What happened to Moses? I don't know. It's been like 40 days since we've seen him. So let's make this cow thing. We'll do things our way. We'll worship God in the image that we think is appropriate. Now, when I read that story, I think, what a bunch of dopes. That's like the dumbest thing. I hope that you're kind of getting that from me. These people are idiots. And we do the same exact thing. We try to press God into our mold to fit the way we think God should be, that he's going to act the way we think is appropriate. When Moses got down to the bottom of the mountain and saw what the people had done, he took the tablets that God wrote the Ten Commandments on and smashed them on the ground and then forced them to pound that golden calf down into powder, mix it with water and drink it. I think that's where we get the expression, eat that. It's stupid, but no joke. And we still do it. We want God to fit our expectations. We want God to fit our word. God will never do it. He will always, always, always act according to his word. We're the ones that need to change. We're the ones that need to shift our expectations. Because God is consistent. And he will always act according to his word by his grace. Amen? Amen. Father, I pray that we would hear your word this morning. That we would stop expecting you to act the way that we like. That we would stop shifting what we think your expectations of us are according to our own opinions and our own whims. Father, may we refuse the golden calf and seek your face according to your word. You've given us everything that we need for life and for godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Father, may we seek you according to your word. May this lesson about the wise men show us we have no authority to change your word, to fit our whims and to get all the things that we like on a card. May we live according to your true word. Give us the grace, Lord, to do it. That our lives as individuals and as as the family would bring glory to your name and not to ours. We love you, Lord, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.